Good morning, everyone. Uh, I believe we should get started. We are a little behind. I'm usually not known for long, long presentations, so you still may be able to get out of here on time. I was tasked with a fairly difficult task, and that is to talk about counterfeit Christianity. I, in a joking way, I was thinking, like, how did the committee even choose who to uh, ask to present? Did they find the most counterfeit person? I don't know. <laughs> but... All joke aside, it's a very serious topic. It is all about soul searching. It's all about looking inward. I almost wish we would be in a black room where we would not even see our neighbor, so that we would not compare ourselves to our neighbor, but that we would really just spend some time looking deep inside ourselves to see if perhaps we ourselves in some way or shape or form have fallen victim to some deceiving messages from the devil. But before we start, let's quickly pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we find it a privilege to have this opportunity to be together with those that believe like us. We thank you that you have given us this week, year after year, where we can remove ourselves from the business of this life, remove ourselves somewhat even from the realities and the difficulties of life, and spend time with those that understand us, with those that support us with those that we can share our feelings with and a place where we can also learn to be more true. Dear Lord, we thank you for these times in which we feel a special nearness of yours. And again in this week, dear Lord, we thank you that already now we were able to, in so many ways, experience your nearness, your kindness, your mercy. We thank you that you have called us to be different in this world, and to be your children. But we recognize, the Lord, that we live in a difficult time where the devil outsmarts us in so many ways and has often allowed us to believe lies and has allowed us to broaden that road that we were walking on once. So we pray, the Lord, that this morning we'll be able to do some soul-searching and really, in a very honest and truthful way, look at ourselves and see if there are not a, po a few areas in our lives that we need to remove to be more like you. The Lord, it is all because of your grace that we even have this opportunity. So we thank you that you give us this chance to once again re reflect on our lives. So that one day when you return, that we would be recipients of good news. We pray that you would be with us not only here, but in every other forum that is being held right now. May your church be edified and your name be glorified. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a few points I would like to cover, and just, just so you don't, that you're not left in the dark, I would like to cover a bit of the historic aspect of this problem. How new, how old is this problem? This problem of counterfeit Christianity. Also would like to talk a bit about the clash of the two worlds, the good and the evil, God and the devil himself. There is a lot of warnings in scripture that we can find. I, I cherry-picked a few because we don't have a lot of time. There is, this is not exhaustive, this is just some bit of a brain teaser that gets us to then go home and continue searching and thinking. Also, some of the Apostle Paul's warnings to the several churches. I then want to spend some time looking at what defines a true Christian. And again, that list, you will probably come up with many other things that should be on that list. And maybe because 
of my lack of focus or whatever. It's not on the list. It is not. So if you have suggestions, I am absolutely open for you to raise your arm and we add it to the list, maybe not in writing right now, but at least that we have it also on the recording. So I want you to participate. I don't exactly know how that's going to work, and we're just going to wing it and believe that, that we'll be able to get through it together. Um, I also want to talk about some facts about counterfeit Christians. And when we look at the two extreme cases, they're going to be very touchy. They're going to be very, on the surface, almost judgmental. They're going to be very harsh. And by no means do I want to say that anyone in our audience is that person, but it is more like a warning. And I want us to then look at ourselves to see if maybe to a certain degree, certain parts of those we have embraced. And if we have, that we recognize them, and this is a perfect opportunity for us to, with God's help, remove them, repent, so that we can once again be true Christians. So I want to spend some time self-examining and reflecting. Then I have a few encouraging scriptures. And if we have time, obviously, for some questions and answers, that would be great as well. So let's dive into it. Two very conflicting facts. First, 2.2 billion people on this planet call themselves Christian. And you want to think, that's pretty good, 2.2 billion But then I wonder, how does Christ's statement fit into this picture? Are we saying that our Lord and Savior was short-sighted? Was he worried, anxious? The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And yet he had to say, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? There is a certain disconnect. Because there's 2.2 billion people in this world that call themselves Christians begs the question, has Christianity as a whole somewhere missed the mark? The two worlds clashing, good and evil. First Jesus and then the apostles warned about, this counter, about counterfeit teachers and brethren. They spoke about these two worlds clashing. The two worlds being one, the actual true church, the founder being Jesus, the church being led by the Holy Spirit, faithful and true to his teachings. And on the other hand, the false church, influenced and headed by the evildoer himself, under the disguise of Christ's name by teaching and upholding a counterfeit and twisted version of God's word, watered down enough to mislead many. Both worlds, that is the true church and the false church, operate under the name of Christ and both claim Jesus' authority. They both perform works that appear to be wholesome and true side by side, to the point that to the naked eye, often the difference is barely even noticeable. But a big difference is that the the true church represents Jesus as the one and only Son of God, and and the other one focuses on the human heart and nature, attaches the name of Jesus to non-biblical traditions and customs, most of which were not taught by Christ or the apostles. I came across this quote, And it very quickly became one of my favorite quotes. Christianity has been watered down until the solution is so weak that if it were poison, it would not hurt anyone. And if it were medicine, it would not cure anyone. To me, that's very very telling. We know the scripture quite well in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. 
about the end times being perilous times, all the ugly things where people will have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. But Jesus foresaw the future. Initially when I said was our our Lord short-sighted or anxious or worried that he would see faith, he he already knew the future. But he warned us. He knew in what world he will leave his disciples. He knew in what condition of a world he will leave his early church. He knew that from the very get-go, the church will be under attack. But the evildoer has learned. And we know, if you look at history, there have been many tactics. If you look at some of the patterns of the, of the evildoer, from persecution to, to, you name it, even prosperity as one of his weapons. But he has learned to keep the counterfeit gospel close enough to the truth so people believe that they are serving Christ while cutting them off from salvation so close and yet missing the mark. He uses human nature to get people to believe his lies and deceptions and he does that in a very slow way. Think of the frog in the boiling water. Another story that comes to my mind that I have shared from the pulpit a few times in the past is this parable of a white city, a city that is painted completely in white. And each year they would repaint it to remain pure and white. But at one point, people just grew bored of it. They got tired of it. So the ministers of that city got together and decided that why don't they switch it up a bit? Let's, let's go, go black. Let's paint it black. But then they realized that that would bring such an uproar in that city that that was something they could not pull off. One of the ministers then came up with the idea to just break that white ever so slightly We just a drop or two of black in the paint, the slightest little shade of gray. And it was so slight that it was unnoticeable. It still looked beautiful in the first year. It was still shining bright, almost white. To the naked eye, it looked white. But year after year, the few drops of blackness in the white paint, year after year, that city became darker and darker and darker. And guess what? Its citizens never complained. It was such a gradual change that by the time the city was painted black, the city was completely comfortable with that new look. Christ himself said that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, which tells us that even though there is 2.2 billion Christians currently in this world, I think it's a very fair statement to say that not all 2.2 billion will be recognized by him. People will hear the words, I never knew you. To me that is a very alarming thing. This is what makes me, this is why I in the end appreciate that I was asked to do this topic because it made me do a lot of soul searching within myself and I had to realize There is many areas in my life that I neglected, many areas in my life that I made compromises in where I could run the risk to be numbered among those that will be turned away. I never knew you. Also, a challenge. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which which I say? In our class this morning, we heard about the commandments of of Jesus. 
and that we can't pick and choose which one we would like to follow, but the commandment is a commandment is a commandment. The commandment of the Lord are to be followed. Jesus also warned us to take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. He also said that many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving wolves. Again, that disguise. Even last night I was reminded of that room with all the masks, the disguise where you may be dealing with someone who is very good at wearing that mask, and you will never know until it's too late. And then comes human nature in. How many of you, when you see a picture like this, or you you are in a scenery like this, and you see a sign that warns you that there is a cliff at the end, how many of us really stop before the sign? How many of us actually feel the need or the urge to inch ourselves closer to that edge to really see, is it really as deep as as they say it is? How far to the edge can I get? And I believe that is true also in our lives, in our spiritual lives. Instead of abstaining from all appearance of evil, we like to inch ourselves as close to sin as possible, like sin is right there and I'm just right next to it. I'm not really in that realm, but I will test how close I can get. What a dangerous territory, because so often it just takes one wrong step and we have fallen to something that we initially never even wanted to get to. The Apostle Paul also had vision and realized that there was trouble in the churches. He spoke to different churches, so I have a few examples. To the Colossians, he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. To the Romans, the Romans he warned and told them to mark them which caused the vision and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they, are su- for they that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. He also spoke to the Galatians. To the Galatians, he was a bit more surprised when he spoke to the Galatians and pointed out that he was surprised how quickly they turned away away from the truth. He took that a step further and really in a harsh way condemned them. If any man preach any gospel unto you that ye have received, let me read it again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. Harsh words. But I believe Apostle Paul realized that there was another force at play, and that if he didn't blow the trumpet, there may be no future for that church. Like I said earlier, we can all come up with a list of things that are true when it comes to a true Christian. I try to put it all on one slide, not saying that this is the list to go by, but I want us to, and I'm 
when it comes to technology, I'm pretty Amish. I don't know how to use technology. So I really wanted to, I'm not knocking them, sorry. But I wanted to draw a picture with true Christianity in the middle, flanked by two other extremes. I couldn't do that on one slide, and it would have also been too small. So I want us to envision that. This being the middle, this being the truth. A true Christian, led by the Holy Spirit in their decision-making, they put, they put their trust into Christ for their salvation and recognize that faith without works is dead. They truly portray a new nature, a nature that is so different from the old man that even the ungodly around them can't help but notice it. That it is not just at proving night that we have test, people standing up giving testimony that yes, indeed, we have seen the change in them but that we hear back from people that are unchurched that also are able to recognize that this person is not who they used to be. They obey God's holy commandments and the teachings of Christ. Christ. There is unquestionable evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And their love is a true, sacrificial love of Christ. I'm sure that if we would just pause here for a moment and think of that love. Brother Alex gave a very good example yesterday. But I'm sure that in our own, mind, in our own lives we have come across those that portrayed the true Christ-like love. Where we were just standing in awe, thinking that... I remember even as a young man... Uh, my, my dad's old aunt, where I just felt, man, if I just could love like that woman loves. There was just unconditional love. A, a woman that was broken and, and barely able to walk, and yet serving and just loving. That was evident even to us when we were children. Becoming more and more like Jesus. Meaning that camp after camp, when we meet one another, that we don't see ourselves exactly the way we were last year, but that with each year, we can recognize a growth within each other. And if we don't, as a little side note, that we would then also perhaps try to encourage that person and try to be there for them, to help them out, so that they could, for the next year, have a growing process. Also, to come in with an open heart, that if someone approaches us and realizes that we are different and we are not who we used to be, and I'm not talking with new creature, I'm talking more about a deterioration, that we would be open, that we would be true and open, honest with each other, that we could point, point those things out to each other. Having joy, no matter what life circumstances bring your way, but that we would not couple joy with happiness, but that we would find joy in serving the Lord in whatever capacity He finds fit, and in whatever circumstance in life He places us into, to still find joy in the Lord. Living a simple, Christ-focused life that spells out servanthood, where all other things that at one point maybe mattered to us or may have been distracting, we're willing to give up so that we can be more pure and more like Him in preparation to spend eternity with them. And a true Christian has a deep concern for the lost 
and works actively in the body of Christ. Again, in whatever capacity, whether that is to reach out to the, to the lost, whether it is to mentor those that have come in, whatever the household of the Lord needs, a true Christian has a deep concern for the lost and is also willing to work in the body of Christ. Does anyone have anything that we should add to this? And I'm totally open. There's many out there that believe that they're led by the Holy Spirit, is what Brother Roland is saying, but they're deceived. True. Try the spirits. My father gave me one lesson I was a teen. It stuck with me, and I applied it in life many times. Maybe not as often as I should, but it is there, almost like a little voice in the back of my head. And he says, you're always influenced by a spirit, and you always need to check, is it the Holy Spirit, or is it the evil one? But you're always influenced by a spirit in every decision. Yeah, just I, I won't be able to re- repeat all of that. Just give me the um, scripture reference one more time. James three, James three seventeen, seven, seventeen and eighteen. Thank you, and very true. Let's look at some of the facts of a counterfeit Christian. Again, the list is not exhaustive. There's many other points that we could add. We could probably write a book on this, but there's a few facts that came to my mind, and that is that counterfeit Christians are very much like counterfeit money. Zero value. Most counterfeit Christians, and that ties into Brother Roland's comment, often don't even realize that they're fake. They often don't even realize that they have bought into something that is no longer true, or that is not true. The evildoer sold them a counterfeit Jesus. It is also true that one can start out on the right path, being, having an honest start, and born-again Christian, and yet then later on fall victim to the evildoers' deceitful tactics. It reminds me again of the sermon last night, of that turn that we take to, what was it? City of Compromise. Yes, thank you. Very true. The Holy Spirit never leads someone astray. The Holy Spirit never contradicts the Word of God. Amen. Oftentimes, like I said earlier, the counterfeit Christian can be almost unrecognizably similar to the true Christian, to the naked eye. And that's why it's important that we prove the Spirit. Once misled, and this is a very sad statement to me, once misled, the victim is then used by the evildoer to mislead others. Once one person is poisoned, that poison will be spread by that same person that was poisoned. And it can spread like wildfire. Ultimately, they don't, understand the, they don't understand Christ and His perfect gift to mankind. And the last one, very self-explanatory and very sad. But a counterfeit Christian will not inherit the kingdom of God if they stay in that state. Very sobering. So this is the part I'm more, the most anxious about because we're going to be talking about two extreme cases. And again, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I am painting dramatic pictures of two opposite ends that are now, in my mind, from in, in that picture where you have the true Christian flanked by these two extremes. And of course, there is variance of that. But I want us to just look at extreme cases that may touch us at a certain point, a certain level. First one, 
And I'm staying away from some cliché terminology because certain cliché term terminology also kind of gets our blood pressure going and kind of categorizes us. So I came up with different terms. The work-based Christian. Often what we see in a work-based Christian is a Pharisee attitude. And we're very quick to brush it off that I, that is not me. Because we know the, the um, parable that Jesus shared about the Pharisee and the publican in, temp, in the temple. And we would never, we would never stand in, in God's house and brag about what we have done and look down at our brother. But I want us to pause there for a moment. Because I believe to be with a Pharisee attitude means much more. That when you sit in church and you're on time, and brother or sister so-and-so for the 17th time is late for services, don't we sometimes get ugly thoughts like, why can't they be like me? Leave five minutes earlier. Or when a certain person is asked to do a certain task, and you wonder, why on earth are they asking that person when I could be doing a much better job. A work-based Christian also makes sure that their deeds are known. That it's not just done under the table, it's not just done for the Lord, but that people know all the good things that I have done. Where perhaps at fundraisers, one points out how much they have donated. Or you go over to someone's house for a visit, and the check that's made out for a charity is left open at the table. So as you walk in, you see exactly how much money they have donated or are about to. Or when we perhaps disguise it by just giving examples of things that we have done. But if we really read in between the lines, we recognize that it is often a little bit of a pat on the shoulder in public that look what I have done. The focus tends to be in the work-based Christian more on the outward than on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean with that is that we're very happy, or someone who falls into this category is very happy when someone's attendance is top-notch in church. They're there Sundays, they're there Thursdays, if there's a Bible study, they show up. And yet, deep down we know that that certain individual, and maybe their sibling, or their loved one, haven't talked to each other for five years, holding a grudge. We're okay with their perfect attendance, and we love it, but we're also okay with them not loving their brother and sister. A lack of joy, because we feel like we constantly have to work on trying to, to earn forgiveness, where that person constantly feels that they have to do something to look better in God's eyes. Constantly trying to do good works, a life driven by obligation where it's not out of love for the Lord, but I have become a Christian and the Lord expects me to do this and that, and so I must do it. My shoulders are hanging, I complain, I roll my eyes when it's my turn to again go and do this and that. Working on earning the salvation and really never achieving it. Overemphasizing the fear of God over His love and forgiveness. And what I mean with that is that a work-based Christian tries to also work for God and, and try to help others to convert, but often with this aspect of fearing God, scaring them, scaring them into 
the Lord is to be feared and he is a, a, an angry God. He is full of wrath rather than also pointing out that yes, he is those, but he has also some beautiful attributes. And if you look at ourselves alone, how patient really was God when he called us? Sometimes for some of us, that knocking was going on for years and maybe even decades. So we have to be careful that we don't fall into the category that we now try to scare people into, into following God. Another symptom, if I can call it that, is Sunday Christianity, where our brother and sister on Sunday look perfect, behave perfectly. Like I said, their attendance is 100%. But on Wednesday or Thursday, that perfectness is no longer visible. Maybe in their business decisions, in their language, the way maybe the husband treats his wife, the way the wife or the mom treats her children, a huge disconnect between my Sunday life and my everyday life. Another huge danger is that traditions are lifted up to the same level as doctrine. And again, by no means do I want to bash the church or make fun of it. But the one example that comes to my mind is just a simple fact of suggesting to the church that we'll change the format of, of, of church services or maybe the time from 3 to 2.30. And we, we see that it boils over so often that we cannot make any changes because it, it ruffles the feathers way too much. Where it really has nothing to do with God's Word and that we really just have to look at it from a point of view if it's convenient for the church, then so be it. Then we have to have enough love for one another and consideration to be able to make changes that are not touching on doctrinal teachings and be a bit more open-minded. And I think that to a certain degree, I'm going to take the liberty to say that we as a denomination do struggle a little bit with that. There is a heavy focus on preservation and not on evangelizing. I want us to again picture something. I'm a, I'm a very, um, I like pictures. Imagine a circle of believers that are close, they're all facing inward, holding hands in unity. We recognize that we have a beautiful heritage, a beautiful treasure that we need to preserve. There's no question about it, we need to preserve it. But we're so focused on it and we faced inward in that circle that we completely ignore the world around us. We have no chance to even reach out to anyone because we are so focused on just preserving what we have that people around us are starving to death in a literal sense. My other term I came up with is the freedom seekers. Freedom seekers tend to be very tolerant to doctrines that are not in line with God's word, meaning that we see that they look at other Christians, knowing that they don't uphold some of the doctrinal teachings that we know from God's Word, and we're okay. We're okay with that. We sometimes even see them go to the point that many people become our brothers and sisters in our mind. Although we know that there have been some compromises made or that we are not on the same page. The confession of faith and the acceptance of Christ while de-emphasizing repentance, <clears throat> excuse me, 
the new creature and nature and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's no evidence of, the, of that, but that's okay. Accepting that living in continued sin is acceptable. We are just saved sinners, a term we have heard so often. This group seems to overemphasize another attribute of God, and that is His love, de-emphasizing the fear of God and other attributes. The freedom seekers, and again, I am by no means trying to step on someone's toes, but freedom seekers also tend to try to blend in a bit with the, church, with, with the, with the world, sometimes with the excuse that that way we are more approachable, that way the unsaved can connect with us a little easier because we may look a bit more alike, do the same, same activities, and so we can connect on, on, a, on a level where we stoop down to their level. But sometimes that sadly also includes compromises to doctrinal teaching. A freedom seeker is also tempted to say that they're accountable to only God and not to the church, not to the brethren. They fail to see and understand the necessity of the brotherhood. And in contrast to the closed circle of the work-based Christian, I want us to here imagine an outward-facing circle, where again you have brothers and sisters holding hands, facing outside, recognizing that there is many people out there lost that need to come in, but to a certain degree then neglecting the health of the church itself. Inviting people in to get the numbers in, but not trying to preserve the health of the church within itself. So let us ask ourselves a few questions. Do I ever compare myself to others to make myself look better in God's eyes? Where I point out certain things that I have done, certain things that I can do, certain things that I have that maybe so-and-so doesn't. The next one I think is a big one. Do I struggle with joy for others when it, when it seems that they're getting all the breaks in life and I don't? When I see that my brother and sister are blessed and it seems like I struggle in life, I am given difficulties in life. Or perhaps even I have a brother who has gone astray, like the prodigal son, and is returned and restored. Am I like the brother of the prodigal son? Am I angry? Do I feel that they don't deserve the forgiveness and the love of God? Do I feel that I deserve much more because I stayed faithful, I stayed where I was? How dare this person come back and is lifted to this level of again being as in sonship. Do I see myself a better servant than so and so? Do I look at the level of my responsibilities and recognize that I do so much for the Lord, but so and so really doesn't do anything? We can go through these questions. I don't have the answers for you, but I want us to spend some time and really answer them truly to ourselves. Do I have compassion for the lost? I was pretty humbled when I thought about this in the beginning of this week. I have many people that I get in contact with, many co-workers, and many of them know that I have a certain responsibility in church. But I have to admit that it stops there. That most of the times our conversation does not end up with me mentioning Christ. And I'm standing here to confess that. 
that is one homework that I'm taking home with me because I recognize that I have neglected my friends, that I believe the Lord has allowed to be in my life so that I could be a witness to them and I have failed many. Do I worry what people think of me? Am I worried about my family's image? Where if there is some blemish, we try to hide it because we don't want the Nazarene, the ACC public to really see it? Or are we willing to be open and honest and real? Break down in front of someone and just say that, you know what, I have messed up. Or such and such is a struggle in my family. I purposefully don't want to look at our denomination. I don't think it would be fair to look at our denomination as a whole because I think this is something that has to be a self-examination. Our system, ours is to compare ourselves to not to each other, but an examination has to happen on a personal level rather than a denominational level. Am I a true Christian? See, when people are being trained to become fraud officers, to recognize fraudulent money that comes into, into this uh, circle, interestingly, they spend a lot of time, and the majority of the time, studying the real bill, studying the real money, to the point that they familiarize themselves so well with that true bill that they know it inside out. They know all of its qualities, they know all of its signs. They don't study all the possibilities of counterfeit. They study the real thing, so that one day, when they come across a counterfeit, they recognize it immediately. And I believe we can draw a lesson from this. That ours is also not to look at what is counterfeit, what versions of counterfeit Christianity are out there, who is counterfeit, but rather we need to focus back on that middle. What is a true Christian? We need to dig into God's word, familiarize ourselves with God's word, with his teachings, with his commandments, so that we know it inside out that when the wrong spirit comes across, and when we prove the spirit, that we immediately recognize it. I believe if we take that approach, it will cut down also on us judging each other. Because we won't have time to look at each other anymore. We'll be consumed by self-examining ourselves, rather than looking at our neighbor, looking at the denomination. And if we would all together spend time in self-examining ourselves, the health of the church would improve. If we're honest with one another, and if we fall into the category left and right, whether that's a little bit of the freedom seekers, a little bit of the work-based, if we remove those and we return onto the middle of the road, mighty things can happen in church. And I'm again the first to say, that as I prepared for this, I had to realize that I'm a mix. I have a bit of the work-based characteristics in me that need to go. I also find myself struggling a bit with some of the things that are, the, that are in the freedom seeker category. That too need to go. We need to return to the basics. We need to return to God's Word. Follow His commandments. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies, 
and that seek Him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in His ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep Thy precepts diligently, O that my ways were directed to keep Thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all Thy commandments. I will praise Thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned the righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes, O forsake me not utterly. Psalm 119.1 through 8. Very well known to us, but we need to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. And we need to run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12. We are encouraged to fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. In Proverbs, very simple little proverb, and so true, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And you may think this is for a minister, but we have learned that we are all missionaries and that we all carry this responsibility. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done in charity and rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice the beautiful thing is that although we may walk away thinking that we have such a huge task ahead of us after this week we're not alone the Lord has promised that he will send his comforter the Holy Ghost who will teach us all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever he has said unto us not whatsoever I have said not whatsoever we have come up with as, as theories, but whatsoever Christ has said the Holy Ghost will bring to our remembrance. That should give us comfort that when we walk out of here with the right attitude and with the right heart, the Holy Ghost which, with, with, with whom we are equipped will remind us to do whatsoever Jesus has taught us. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is as much as the Lord has laid on my heart, but I definitely want to leave some room for questions. may not be able to answer them, but I have the experts sitting right up here. <laughs> if anyone has a question or a comment, please feel free. Alan. Yes, we all naturally have a bias to either left or right out of those two extremes, I agree. I love that point. So the further to the left I am, whether that is in the work-based um, section or whether that's in the freedom seekers, the further deep in that area I am, the less I like the other extreme. Very true. Very true. Yes, I agree, but I also believe that the two sides, the two flanks have to be diminished. The rule base is very much designed for someone who just is a blind follower, who is given a set of rules, a 
framework within they can move really cuts down also on having to discern the, the, the spirit because I'm told to go left, go right, I no longer have to discern. I agree. I'm sorry. I, I like the idea. I like the idea because that also then keeps it alive. Yeah. I am open to suggestions. So one answer, just to like try to put that into a sentence or two, is to really show true love from one extreme to the other, to intentionally love, and that way draw people together, and there's beautiful examples of, uh, of it working out. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ultimately, hypocrisy is what needs to be removed. I believe there was a hand over here. Someone pointed, no? So when we examine ourselves to be honest, truly honest, brutally honest, and then not only keep it to ourselves, but share it with someone that can hold us accountable. I fully support that. Yes? To pray for one another. And I think both of those points, with both of those points, we also hold the evildoer at bay. It disarms him. Yes. Very true. These two camps, if they don't communicate very easily, can they even divide completely because there is no communication or miscommunication, misconception. Very true, Brother Bob. Yeah, talking in front of our children about, about the problems of the church, fatal. I like that word. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love that idea because I believe that those families that we have, our congregations, our home congregations, are not designed by us. We're not together per chance. And yes, we are a colorful mosaic of people. And we are put together for a purpose. And it would be beautiful if we could sit down, talk over, talk over our differences, and then try to unite even more than we already have. We are at 11.15. So I thank you all for coming.